0: So, Josh, you coming over later tonight to watch the game? I gotta double check with my wife, but I think I should be fine. Check with your wife? So, who wears the pants in your marriage? Haven't you read Ephesians 5? Man is the head of woman? Uh, what are you talking about? you saying you never ask your wife for permission to do stuff? She has read the passage. I don't actually believe you. Okay. I did the dishes, and I vacuumed... So it's all good. You can come over tonight. Yeah, okay. That sounds a little bit more correct. And then that actually leads me to a question I wanted to
1: ask you, like the relationship dynamic, what should the role between men and women be in the church and at home?
0: Yes, correct. In both of those contexts, Christians not surprisingly disagree on what the relationship with men and women should look like, particularly in the sense of authority or not. So we should talk about it today. Yeah, that sounds pretty important. Yeah. yeah. we're going to dive into another controversial topic of women in leadership. What does the Bible say about it? How do Christians view it? And what are the merits and limitations of both of these views? So, Josh, talk to me about a little bit of the context for this.
1: Sure. We This position usually, or this conversation usually breaks down in into two positions we have what's known as egalitarianism which believes that you know women can do anything men can do in spiritual leadership positions you know be elders be pastors the whole nine and then you have complementarianism which tends to reserve uh, the highest offices of church stuff usually for men right so women can be pastors kind of like up to a certain point and that can vary depending on like which denomination you're in but usually it's pretty ubiquitous and universal that women like aren't lead pastors at a church or senior pastors and women aren't elders of that church, right? Because the idea there is uh, that position holds that women aren't supposed to have authority over men in the church.
0: Okay. So those are two fancy words there, right? Yeah. On the yeah. one hand, egalitarian, which is the position that wants to affirm both equality in nature and in role. Yeah. And then you have complementarian, which is the opposing v- perspective, which would say, hey, you can have equality and dignity, nature, Mm -hmm. and value, but a difference in role.
1: Right. So it's complementary versus equal,
0: right? Those are kind of the the ways that you can think about it. All right. Let's break them down. Talk to me. Sure.
1: So the complementarian role uh, really affirms that, right? This idea of being created equally in essence, but given different roles. So here's how we kind of understand that and put it another way. So men and women are both made by God, Right. Genesis 1, we were created in God's image, male and female God created us, right? We are equal in dignity, value, essence, and human nature. However, the roles that we are to play in this world are unique, right? We don't share the same positioning. So men were given the instructions to have loving authority over women, and women are to offer willing, glad-hearted, and submissive sacrifice or assistance to the male. Uh, And so we know that, you know, though men and women are created equally in God's image, and we see that in Genesis, like we said, but Genesis 2 kind of bears out in its own context and what complementarians would say Paul understands as the role of nature in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2, uh, the way that men and women interact in the world is different, right? And it's intentionally different because God set it up this way for the most effective form of leadership and the way that it should be uh, understood. And so the idea here is that uh, females are supposed to function in a submissive role under the leadership and loving authority of the male. Now, let's be very clear before we move on here that this is always intended to be understood in the sacrificial sense, right? Okay. So men are supposed to lead, but are supposed to lead sacrificially. There. So we don't want to create a straw man or mm-hmm. a caricature of this argument if you're watching at home. The idea here is to have like uh, the best assumption about the argumentative position as you go into listening to Correct. the topic, right? So
0: in itself, this isn't necessarily something like machismo or something like sexism or or misogyny. Right, absolutely. Not in itself, according to this biblical understanding. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and so the complementarian who's doing it correctly would never paint himself or herself as a sexist, right, or anything Good. like that. And so there's kind of two specific points that relay into this complementarian viewpoint. The first one is uh, a, the fallen disruption of God's created design, right? Uh, and this is a really fancy way of basically saying, like, we see, you know, when the snake enters the garden and tempts Eve to eat the uh, the fruit, the apple, Tempts Eve to eat the fruit, right, sin basically brings chaos into God's world. Uh, and in that dispute, there's going to be enmity between the man and the wife, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be uh, the potential for anger or resentment or bitterness that comes out of this because their eyes being opened in this way, you know, in the way that they understand each other. Uh, And so, and this is what Genesis 3, 15 and 16 teaches, uh, that there's going to have to always be this conversational difficulty of women trying to usurp the authority of men uh, and the authority that was given to men by God in creation, right? And so men either have to choose to like lead this woman well, or it can be abused, right? In the way that men leave, or, or excuse me, lead. And so, uh, so again, fallen disruption of God's created design. And then, uh, when we get to the New Testament, when we see the restored picture of what this looks like, Paul, who writes Ephesians five, uses really the example of uh, head, male, you know, and the and female in the relationship is the example of like Christ and the church. So yeah. the idea here is like. So what's that passage again? Ephesians five twenty-two it? through thirty-three. And so the Just I- In your own words. Yeah. So the idea here is like, uh, we are supposed to submit to. Christ, you know, like men submit to Christ, women submit to men in Mm. the same way that the church submits to Christ. There you go. And Christ led the church by a beautiful example of being willing to sacrifice his life for her. He dedicated himself to his bride, you know, all those things.
0: So that's the paradigm. That
1: is what we are supposed to be emulating as men uh, who are followers of Jesus and who are married. Correct. And and so, and then the church responds to Christ by emulating what Christ does and trying to be its best version of Christ on earth. So women you know submit to their godly husbands by loving them and supporting them and helping them stay you know in pursuit of Jesus and all the good things that come mm-hmm. with that. And mm-hmm. so uh, and then we also see that again in first Timothy two uh, eight through fifteen.
0: yeah, so that that's that's kind of an interesting passage there. yeah, Though I mean that one's a little bit uh, a little bit more difficult, right for yeah. sure
1: I mean it can feel it can feel a little bit weird here. Uh, the idea here is like, uh, we understand men and women through the way that we are created in nature, right? So Eve was created after Adam mm-hmm. there in this idea. And so male leadership then is seemed to be restored to this Christian community of men and women who endeavor together in the journey of expressiveness. But there is still uh, some order, right? Some hierarchical, potentially understood order in the way that those things are supposed to function yeah. uh, in reality yeah.
0: there. Yeah, which admittedly is a bit f- foreign. Sure. Right. The logic is a bit foreign to how we kind of function day to day. Yeah. For sure. Um, so some interesting, interesting stuff Mm -hmm. there, but I I think you captured the complementarian position very fairly. Okay, good. Okay. So what are some questions that somebody would ask of the complementarian?
1: Yeah. So, uh, these are some of the things that we see in scripture, right? That, and so again, when you're thinking about this position here, it's really important to understand that all of this position is rooted in a specific understanding of Scripture. So it's not like people are making things up. It's not like people are trying to go out and just be abusive or be authoritative for the sake of, like, a power Power. trip and an ego, right? Uh, But some of the questions that I, as not a complementarian, would have is, like, what do we do when there are examples of women in the highest positions of leadership in Scripture, Mm -hmm. right? So we see this in Deborah, uh, who's a judge. We see this in Phoebe in Romans 16, who Paul has, you know, commended to read and interpret his letter for him to the Roman church that's there. You see this in Huldah in 2 Kings 22, who's this prophetess, who's a, uh, I think as the Old Testament guy, you would say, is like this juxtaposition or this comparison against the unsuccessful male prophets. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Lydia, who's an important figure in Acts 16, who's actually like this benefactor and makes it so that these people have a chance to worship God in Mm -hmm. a home there Mm -hmm. by supplying their own place. Mm -hmm. You have Priscilla who is mentioned first and Priscilla and Aquila, which usually means, you know, when you, when, uh, couples were listed in antiquity in ancient writings, the person who was listed first was understood to be the more authoritative one in Mm -hmm. the relationship there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so these are like hard things to get around. So Mm -hmm. how do complementarians
0: deal with that type of position? Definitely. So, I think we have to concede, and let me just be completely honest with you. Sure. Okay. Um, I grew up in a church that was very, very, very complementarian to the point where it was probably distortive. Mm -hmm. And in my educational journey and personal journey, um, I would say I've walked away from a distortive version of complementarianism because it's bad, right? It's abusive. However, um, I would probably still identify as a soft, complementarian and so I want to be just very honest sure um, and put my cards on the table and say that we as, got you now as, dude as no. time goes on boom
1: corner him, get him internet
0: as time <laughs> goes on it's become harder and harder for me sure to actually be a complementarian for many for many reasons so the first thing I want to say is that there are real abuses yeah and distortions of authority that happen in churches that happened in homes yep. and that happened in different places by Christians. Yep. And that is absolutely shameful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it just absolutely breaks my heart when I think it was last year, there was like three huge like mega church pastors, one after another that were, um, it's what seems to be legitimate accusations of both, manipulation, mm-hmm. coercion, and or um, sexual mishappenings, yeah. so that you may or may not attribute to power coercion, sure. whatever sure. the case is. Uh, domestic violence is obviously a real thing, um, and it Christians aren't immune to it. No, of course not. Um, and so the, I want to be very clear about that, that that is absolutely shameful, and that we need to bring more light to that yeah. so that people who are being abused can feel that they have a voice to be supported yep. and rescued and that God and God's people care about that. Yeah. I want to be very clear about that. Yeah. Good. Having said that, right. I, I have to concede that these passages are definitely monkey wrenches, mm-hmm. right? For the complementary perspective of scripture, right? Like you really have to do some gymnastics to say, uh, well, we're going to qualify woman leadership, but it was at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, or it was uh, because there was no man to lead at that time. Or um, that stands over and against some of the other commands. Mm-hmm. So I will concede with the people that I've talked to actually to wrestle with some of these passages. It's a real monkey wrench, mm-hmm. right? Because in the book of Judges, Deborah functions like a judge in the capacity that any other male judge would. Mm-hmm. She has uh, military Power. She has power, basically, of uh, the state, which is power over not which just is pretty wild youth, to
1: think about, like but like over men. Some twenty five hundred years ago, in a very patriarchal society, very there, like this woman is controlling the military, yes, and telling people like who to go kill.
0: Right. That's that's wild. So cool. That is yeah. wild. I mean, not the killing part, but like <laughs> right the,
1: the command part. So
0: you can't sidestep that. Yeah, you can't. um Phoebe in Romans sixteen. Uh, delegating so in the New Testament in particular right with these women characters. So you have Phoebe uh, Priscilla Lydia Junior is yeah. a big one too. Uh-huh. the the stuff that I've read on it is if in fact you have the Apostles particularly the Apostle Paul who is addressing these women in such a way and delegating to them the same Authority or mm-hmm. the same roles that the other ministers of the Gospels were doing then They have apostolic authority. Yeah. I mean, certainly to some degree, right? The logic of that is bulletproof, right? Now, the the question of of dissent or the the debate there is, is that actually what's happening? And like people will go back and forth on that. Is that actually happening? But that's like a real monkey wrench. Yeah. Like, is Paul referring to these female characters as in the same way with the same roles that he is with these other apostles?
1: When he uses the same language for Phoebe in Romans 16 that he will use for himself in Cornelius yeah. right later on. It's the same word
0: there. And so it's like we really have to contend with that. Correct. Right there. It's hard to sidestep that. Correct. And in the Old Testament, um, one of the big themes in Old Testament, the history, which is going to be the historical books, are pretty much from Joshua through Kings. Mm-hmm. So Joshua, 1st, 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings. One of the big things that is there is the contrast between male and female characters yeah. by the narrator. It, it fascinated me the first time I saw this, just to give you a few examples. The first one that I would see is um, how David and Bathsheba are contrasted in Samuel. David is the king, right? Mm-hmm. So in this context, when the king asks for a woman, she has no option. Yeah, you can't right? like We can't sugarcoat that, right? It was he took her, mm-hmm. basically like, like she, he treated her like she was a call girl. Yeah. Okay. So in that context, the way that the characters are described is very interesting because throughout the story of 2 Samuel, David is going to deteriorate both in his power physically and Bathsheba is actually going to gain more influence mm-hmm. and power to the point where in First Kings, she's actually orchestrating the events with the prophet Nathan mm-hmm. and making sure that Solomon, her son, is going to get enthroned. Right. That's fascinating. Right. Also, in the cases where... Uh, The kingdom is spiraling out of control. And Joab, who is the military leader for David, he's kind of like, dude, I'm losing control. I need to do something. It's really interesting that the characters that he goes to for wisdom are women. Mm -hmm. So specifically in 2 Samuel chapter 20 and chapter 14, it mentions the woman of Tekoa. Mm -hmm. So there's this random wise woman that comes out of nowhere and she solves the problem. I just think it's really fascinating because Huldah is one of those also in 2nd Kings yep. where she's a prophet and the narrator is giving her credence that she's correctly perceiving what God is saying. Yep. So you have these female characters who are correctly understanding something in direct juxtaposition to the male characters who don't get something. Yeah. That's fascinating yeah, to it's me. Big, man. So all that to say is like whatever per- your perspective may be and whatever however you may interpret these passages in Peter uh, where it talks about, again, the the woman submitting to the man, mm-hmm. Ephesians, Timothy, with very direct passages, right? They stand at least in tension right. with right. these very direct passages, right? So yeah. I want to be very frank and honest about that. Um, I also want to talk about the next question.
1: Yeah, so the next question here is, do we tell women who have the desire to preach and teach yeah. uh, that this isn't a desire placed in them from yeah. God? And this is probably functionally the most important question to me because— yeah. Uh, genuinely, and the reason that we have two men talking about this topic, if you're kind of curious about this, is because uh, this is for us a conversation where we realize, like, these are some of the things that we have worked through and learned in our own experience. And mm-hmm. because there are a bunch of men in leadership in the church, the hope is, is that we can establish some kind of commonality and understanding. of saying, like, I don't know how to tell a woman that she has something that's placed in her that's not from God, especially when genuinely, probably out of the top 10 most communi- gifted communicators I know, hmm. more than half of them are women. Mm-hmm. There. And for me in my personal life, yeah. uh, almost every male influence I've ever had has cheated on his wife. And mm. women have never, you know, in my life, women have never done that. And mm-hmm. so I know that's not always the case, right? And that's just an anecdotal example. Yeah. there, But that further intensifies the reality of this question for me when it's like mm-hmm. I have seen male Pastors fall time and time and time and time again, and we're going to tell women that this thing that they felt like they were born with, this burning desire to preach the gospel, they're not allowed to do that mm-hmm. because they have the wrong genitalia. Like, right. that's a very weird and a very, like, just what the crap is going on, yeah. you know, with that yeah, kind yeah. of thing.
0: Yeah. I, I once heard it this way from a commentator. Can we delegate roles based on gifts rather than genitals? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's good. And, and that's that's a really poignant way to put yeah. it. So so let me say this, right? On the one hand, our personal experiences of gifting and roles sure. can't be the ultimate authority. Yeah, of course. Um, at the same time, um, what seems to be kind of prevalent inclinations towards skills, right? Like. It said, well, hey, is it an accident that more women are nurses than men or that more women are therapists than men and more men are architects than women? Like, okay, like we, you can make an argument for male and female being inclined towards certain yeah, things, as generalities, but sure. that doesn't make it sure the objective rule. Right? sure sure. right? So now having said that, I do think it's an important question because um, I think we have to think very critically about the merit of saying, hey, you have this communicator. A woman who wants to go to seminary who wants to responsibly learn teach and disseminate for the purposes of furthering the gospel um, leadership and teaching and preaching right and so the only logical alternative is to say well you can't or you can teach other women R- right Either. right so so the way you sidesteps this is you can teach youth so you can teach kids you can teach youth the, the way i've seen it done at some places uh-huh. is up until they're 18 yeah and then you can't which c- is all arbitrary cuz then cuz then at 18 you're a man so yeah. then you can't uh, and definitely not men but you can teach other women right so that seems to be um the logical way to kind of be consistent with it but say no like you can still teach and preach or give announcements <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um, yeah so i admit that that seems it seems arbitrary And it seems flaky.
1: Well, all of those things are by nature, right? Because we would have to say, like, 18 for the male in American society is not the same. But it wasn't the same as a 12 year old. Or 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 it wasn't even the same
0: 100 years ago. No, not even close there. Correct. And and we
1: would say now that most men are probably still children until we're like 25 there. Yeah,
0: you have a good point there. So it's a weird thing to like. So the foundation keeps shifting. Yeah. And 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 the rules keep changing.
1: The the goalposts are always moving. Moving. there. Correct. There's nothing objective to build that on. Correct. Or there's nothing objective to walk out that exegetical conviction. Correct. Right? All of the hermeneutics are shifting sand. Correct. There. And that's hard for me.
0: Yes. So let me be 100% clear one more time, okay? Being a soft complementarian is really, really hard sure. for me for all those reasons. Yeah, yeah. And the one that hits home the most for me is the reality of uh, how much gets shielded yeah. under the guise of... Christian authority yep. or Christian yep. leadership, right? Like so many things like pastoral abuse yes. and manipulation yeah. and coercion, domestic violence, so many things get shielded under this and it is absolutely shameful, right? Yep. And so, um, not only is it hypocritical, right? And and that the cost of credibility and consistency, but the social cost of that is mm-hmm. incredibly Hard to bear because it sounds so backwards. Yeah, and it sounds so like chauvinistic. Yeah, right um, and so I want to say how Sensitive I am to all that and that I can't think of a single time. I've been married for four years. Okay A single time. I can't think of where I've said No, like this is the choice we're gonna make Because I'm the man (laughs) No, it's because it's, it, it doesn't like make sense. No, it sounds like you're signing your own death warrant, honestly. <laughs> so I, I've never, ever done that because that's not how marriage works. That's right. not how real relationships work right. right now. Granted that that that's different in a church context sure. right, where you have more structured. Authority yeah, yeah. 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 And you could say something like, hey, you know, there's certain positions that women can and can't do. Um, I want to concede all that. Right. And say, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. The only reason I'm still a soft complementarian is because. In the passages like Ephesians five or First Timothy two or First Peter, I'm not there yet exegetically. Sure, fair, that's fair. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. it really feels like I'm hanging on by a thread. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: but so see, but that honesty is like what it will take to kind of continue to move this conversation forward. So why don't you tell us about okay. egalitarianism? Okay,
0: so the egalitarian position is very very suspicious of something like separate but equal and you know what i gotta say yes yeah if you hear separate but equal you probably should be suspicious right because it doesn't have a good track record it's weird to me when the nation gets it right before the church does (laughs) so so they're saying wait hold on this is kind of like george orwell's uh animal farm everybody's equal but some people are more equal than others right so like i get it and so the egalitarians are saying "No, no 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 um on the one hand with respect to creation right in creation you're not only seeing an equality of value and nature but you're seeing an equality of of roles mm-hmm. and an equality of participation in the creation duties mm-hmm. and ministries and so th- the what sin is causing is actually a distorted hierarchy mm-hmm. and so to perpetuate or to continue that hierarchy under the guise of redemption of Christ is to mistake in that yeah And so any um, structure or any interpretation that would maintain a hierarchy, it's also called hierarchicalism Mm -hmm. or patriarchalism, um, is is wrong. It's sinful. Right. And so I've heard different interpretations because then the question becomes, all right, cool. But like, what are you going to do with Paul then? Because he seems to be pretty clear when he says things again, man is the head of woman just as Christ is the head of the church or in first Timothy two, he's going to say some wild things like I do not permit the woman to teach. She should be silent. Um, so like, what do you do with those passages? Uh I mean, I've heard a few things. Um, on the one hand I've heard, uh, Scott McKnight is is a big guy. Uh, he's, you know, pretty Uh well-known theologian who's going to talk about this issue and he'll, he'll appeal to cultural or contextual reasons how we should understand, um, the limitations of that command as a description of that time but not a a universal prescription Mm -hmm. of how it should be Mm -hmm. so like there's reasons why women wouldn't be able to teach yeah the access they wouldn't have um or the resources they wouldn't have Mm -hmm. that would make it not doable for them but that would make it doable for a woman to teach today sure um another compelling thing that i've heard about egalitarianism in the face of those passages is wait hold on so you want to pick and choose when you take Paul literally but nobody's wearing headscarves sure and so that's pretty interesting too right because in 1 Corinthians he's he's going to get it's also this. appealing to nature with the headscarf exactly yeah. he's gonna, well because of the angels yeah. and because of of nature so wear a headscarf nobody does that no so we do not if you pick and choose where you're going to take interpretation culturally or no 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 this is universal then I see the suspicion as sure. well. And so the overall argument for egalitarianism is that, no, 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 it's not only equality in nature and essence, but it's also equality in roles. Yeah. Um, and so um, here's a question I wanna ask you about egalitarianism, and the one that seems most important to me. What role do you think social progressivism or social values and trends play in swaying, yeah, the yeah. Christian interpretation, sure, yeah. So towards this is, and I, I think this
1: is probably the key driving question, right? Because for me, the arrival at egalitarianism was not one that came out of social progressivism, but one that came out of exegetical convictions. There. Okay, it's just that's fair. Uh, but what I think, and what I, what that means basically, is like I didn't feel pressure from culture gotcha. to be like super pro women. That's not okay. like. Whatever. It wasn't my thing there, right? For me, it came out of how how I read Genesis 1 and Ephesians 5 in particular. And and probably Romans 16 is the most important passage to me in Scripture on this specific topic. But I think the role that social progressivism is one uh, that kind of casts a looming shadow, right? Because especially Mm -hmm. in the church, there is this... Real, either embracing of or repellent from Mm -hmm. the idea of wokeism, right? Right. And this idea of like we have to, yeah, and we have to embrace every social change that's happening in society. It's like, look. The whole point of being a follower of Christ is that people are gonna look at you weird. They yep. called us cannibals in the first three centuries, right? Because they That's said true. that we ate of babies. The yeah, yeah. And, and so it's like we've always been kind of weird with that. And, and and so if you're not being kind of strange or seen as a little bit sus by society, then like you're probably a little bit missing out on some of that stuff. All right. Um, but I think it plays a tremendous revelation in recognizing and understanding that we when we live in the world that we live in, right, Romans 12 being in the world but not of the world, Mm -hmm. we are constantly managing our expectations and our understandings and our biases through the world in which we live in. And this is the tension that postmodernism has taught us I think correctly, is that like we can't always identify our biases. There's no way to completely remove ourselves out of our cultural context and point to like some capital T universal truth that applies to any and every person and be like, found it, there it is, right? Like. I'm always going to see things through the perspective of a white dude, and it's like that's just my bag, and that's who I am, and that's what it's always going to be. And so there's going to be some good things that come with that, and some not Limitations. like yeah, you well, know, just like imperialist kind of things that can roll with that sometimes that <laughs> right. are not that are not good, right? And, and so Go for the throat there, yeah, well, I mean it is just kind of is what it is. And so recognizing that though, uh, it's not a good thing, by the way. <laughs> Let me be very clear for the audience, uh, but recognizing that right yeah. is a thing that puts us in in the ability to say, yeah, uh, truth is progressive on some nature right and, and we see this in the theology of accommodation that exists all throughout the, the the meta-narrative of scripture right and so it's like god never intended for there to be divorce there but that was something that moses allowed because the hearts of men were hardened mm. and those kinds of things and so it's like the idea here is God is working through whatever system that works for human beings at the time, because that's how God chose to reveal God's yeah. self to us. There. Yeah. And so as we grow in faithfulness and as we continue to, you know, nurture that idea there, God is able to reveal more. And so as we under, just like we understand now that, you know, men don't carry the entire totality of life in semen and women are just like the oven that bakes the baby there, but it takes both, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, we have better understandings of the role that women can play in leadership. Like, Women are trustworthy. We don't need two of them to equal one man, say, in court. You know, it's like, you know, and and so those things change as we get better. Okay. As a church, as society, as human beings. And so this might be an example of one of those
0: things. Okay. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to say, for me, like I I said, the social cost of it is the heaviest for me to bear. Right? Because I I want to say, yes, believe women when they are— uh, raising up their voice against uh-huh. abuse. Yes, I wanna say that. I, I want to empower people, um, women in particular, to feel like they do not need to be um, hidden or repressed of abuse, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and so it's very hard for me to say that and say, yes, support woman and, and me too, and all these kinds of things, and at the same time say, and I'm a soft complimentarian. Like yeah. that's a really, really hard place for me to be at. Yeah. Right. And so I think part of what you're suggesting is that being able to recognize that tension, I think that sets me up to be able to grow. I sure. hope. I hope.
1: Yeah, I mean naturally.
0: Yeah. Um, and that I can hopefully continue to work through that tension and, and continue to, you know, see yeah, dude, uh, some of some of these. You blind just gotta thoughts. keep exegeting. It'll, that's it. It'll that's come in. It. It'll come. Awesome. So guys, what do you think? leave us a comment what are some of the biggest costs that you see which eat each of these views um, and how have you experienced maybe these views being played out at your church we'd love to hear from you guys we'll see you next time.